Welcome to Black Writer Therapy, a podcast where Black women writers are invited to sit on the proverbial couch, have a cup of tea, and share the stories behind the stories, and what it really takes to write books about Black women in an industry that still prefers white as the default. I'm your host, published author and unlicensed therapist, Alishine. Black Writer Therapy is now in session. Diane Marie Brown is a professor at Orange Coast College and a public health professional for the Long Beach Health Department. She has a Bachelor's of Arts and Master's of Public Health from UCLA and a degree in fiction from USC's Master of Professional Writing program. Her debut novel, Black Candle Women, is a read with Jenna Book Club selection. And now your host, Ella Sean. Diane Marie Brown, welcome to your session of Black Writer Therapy. I am so excited to have you here. Um, this, this podcast really is to uplift and amplify the voices, stories, and experiences of Black women writers. Um, and you are a testament to what a wonderful, wonderful opportunity I've been given at starting this podcast. Oh, thank so, you. Nice really, to be here. <laughs> thank you for agreeing to sit here on my proverbial couch. Uh, my intro is always, I am, you know, author, host, and unlicensed therapy <laughs> therapist. I don't want anybody to get it twisted. I, I can't cancel anyone. Um, <laughs> but I will start by asking you the exact same thing I ask every guest. And that is, how are you healing today? Oh, that's that's a great question. Um, well, today I am mentally shifting into summer mode. So um, I'm I'm a professor, and last night we had graduation. Mm -hmm. And although I still have plenty of grading to do before I'm officially done, um, I'm just kind of letting go the tension of the of the school year, especially the last few weeks. Um, it's just been a, you know, I love teaching. I love my students, but with um, the book coming out earlier um, a, f a couple of months ago and all of the traveling and everything while trying to balance my my day job. And I have a couple of day my day jobs. Um, <laughs> It's been, it's been a lot. So um, I'm really, uh, I haven't done a lot of, um, I haven't really done much that's been creative, which I always mm -hmm. feel that I need to do. So I'm looking forward to the summer and relaxing um, and getting back into crafting stories and just taking care of myself. So that's today that I kind of am feeling that that shift this morning. I love that. Yeah. My husband's an uh, elementary school assistant principal mm. and they are shutting down today. Like he's at work <laughs> today and they're yeah. closing everything out. And I remember because I used to teach high school and I just remember all of my, like my time was fall semester, spring semester, yay, summer, yes. fall semester, <laughs> spring semester, you know, and so yeah. I watch my husband, and he's just like, it's just one more day, babe, 
one yes. more day and then I won't be an assistant principal I think he yes. has a couple of days next week and he's like then I'll be home I'll be yeah. I'll be husband again um but <laughs> it is any level of education you find I, I find that like that whole component of self-care and mm-hmm. being aware of one's own wellness mm-hmm. sometimes most times takes the back burner because yeah. educators have such a huge charge you know, yes. that, that you guys take on. So I'm happy the summer is coming in for you and you'll get to uh, engage in more creative outlets. Yes. That's always healing. <laughs> yes. Yes. So again, how does a professor and a public health administrator does one parlay that into and I'm going to be a fiction writer I'm going to just do the whole thing be a fiction writer like how does that even work yeah uh well I've always um I've always loved to have some kind of creative element in my life I've always liked to I've always liked to write but um you know there's always some kind of hobby or something that I'm working on in addition to my my work um which has mainly been i've most of my life i've been in public health um mm-hmm. and but even there um even in i worked at a city um health department for many years i'm still and so that's kind of where i still am but i'm just part time there um right. but even in that space like i was always trying to figure out a way to be creative so um, for example, uh, at the Long Beach Health Department, early in the 2000s, uh, we were celebrating our 100th year uh, mm-hmm. as, a health, as a local health department. And so uh, we tried to figure out, I was on the committee that was trying to figure out, you know, how can we celebrate? And I think some of it was from me, but it was one of those conversations that just snowballed and was very collaborative and we decided to do a play about the health department <laughs> and um I'm like I'll I'll write it and I'll direct it and I'll cast I'm it your girl <laughs> yeah and I mean I hadn't never I hadn't done any type of endeavor like this before but it was you know very low risk because it was just like we're it's gonna we're gonna have a little celebration with all the health department staff we'll do this little play and it'll be it'll be fun and so um, I had the best time writing the play. We used our lunches to um, do casting and to rehearse. And we um, were able to borrow um, or use the theater at the local community college for the day. And all the staff came out and they loved it. So much so that the director was like, well, we need to, we need to make this public. And so later on in the year, we did it again and opened it up to um, to the city of Long Beach. They used it as a fundraiser and it was at a bigger theater. And so, you know, just moments like that, I and uh-huh. it, it was just very invigorating and it just reminded me how much I like to tell stories. And so it was after that that I decided, you know what, I want to, I really like this writing thing. Let me get better at it. Let me hone my my skills a little bit more. So it was after that, that I went to grad school and grad school is where I started this book. So um, 
it's it's kind of interesting when I really think about it that um, having a a place that you know it was a, a smaller health department and they they're just open to fun mm-hmm. ideas and for, I think you know we should find ways to get creativity into some of these workplaces that are you know seem very you know serious and structured I mean um there was probably not as much room for this type of thing when when COVID hit or you know we're right. dealing with something like that but um but again there's I think there's always opportunity for creativity in any kind of workspace and so I've kind of found those places but at the same time um, when I was taking care of my day-to-day responsibilities, um, when I wasn't writing plays, I, I just had this kind of calling, um, just wanted to, to make stories so that, you know, that's why I always on the side, I was writing, writing books. Wow. That is so interesting. And I, I think for a lot of creatives who, who, you know, I'll say this for me. My mother told me, you need to go to college, major in something that will get you a job with benefits yes. <laughs> and, and a pension. Yeah. That's what you need to do. And I told her, I said, yeah, but I really want to be a writer. Okay, but you need to go to college to get a job with benefits and pension. And I think for so many Black creatives, that's what we are told. And so we we do that. We go to college, get the the degrees that will, you know, get us the job. And then all of that creativity, all that passion is just kind of burbling up and it can't stay there. So Mm -hmm. inevitably it pours over into our sturdy jobs with benefits and, you know, and a pension. And I find that so interesting. And I'm always so happy when I hear, you know, and I don't want to say professionals because writers are professionals, but when I hear that people find a way to incorporate their passion into everyday life until they're in a space where they can say, okay, you know what? I kind of need to do this for real, for real. Like that is always so encouraging. Yeah. Sometimes I, you know, I think about, um, high school and uh, like, I don't think I ever saw like a career counselor or a college counselor. I just knew, I, my parents were educators. So I just knew I was going to college. And, but when <laughs> I thought about college, it was a very limited view, you know, sort of like you were saying, I, you know, I was like, well, I'm going to go into business or I'm going to go into the sciences. I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be some kind of professional. And those were the only paths that I saw mm-hmm. in front I, I never thought, you know, oh, I can go go into um, creating films or or writing books. I, those types of things for for some reason never bubbled up as um, possibilities for mm-hmm. me. And um, so I definitely went kind of the 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 route of, you know, I, what what's going to get me a job, right? A, a job yeah. and a pension. Um, but I I kind of wonder, you know, sometimes now, like if I would have been more in a creative field, would I have the same kind of passion? And you know, I, you know, kind of, I think that limitation or, or just kind of like you said, just having to get it out because you're so, 
your day-to-day job is so rigid and structured and you don't mm-hmm. get opportunities. Um, I don't know, maybe I I wouldn't have um followed this path. I don't know. It's 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 interesting. I think we in in many ways we end up doing what we're we're meant to be doing. Exactly. That's a little bit of what my book looks at is like, you know, exactly. But uh but yeah, I, I think about that sometimes. I mean, it just kind of maybe took me longer to get to where I I wanted to be as far as being a writer. Um, Mm -hmm. but that's okay. I, indeed, because it's always like the questions, what if, and I learned to stop asking that question unless Mm -hmm. it's in my, what if notebook, my, you know, and that's where all my questions go that help me with writing, like, you know, writing, what if, oh, that'd be neat to kind of explore Mm -hmm. more, but what if about my life, I don't even entertain those questions anymore because I'm like, you know, my grandmother used to say, woulda, coulda, shoulda, if he did, but he didn't. So right. now, yeah, you know, so, uh, yeah. So, wait a minute. I'm going to call this out. Read with Jenna. Book club. <laughs> hello. <laughs> um, hello. <laughs> Speak that to talking, it. I, that, that is talking. huge. That is huge. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I think that's again on that that timing piece. Um it I have been working on well, I've been trying to get this book out in the world for for a very long time and didn't find an agent for a long time. Um in fact, uh I responded to an open call um through a publisher, which is not really traditionally how things work, and um, was able to connect with the publisher that way, and they helped me find my agent. So I kind of did things. Oh, wow. Yes. Um, Yes. Uh, Well, going back to 2020 and everything that was happening uh, with, not just with COVID, but um, with George Floyd and companies figuring out, you know, how do they reckon with, with blackness, right? How do do they deal with, with all of this that's going on? And so on the public, and, you know, there are things also going on at that same time. Um, I don't know if you heard about publishing paid me. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yes, All of that stuff. And so um, there was a uh, what ended up being my imprint, Graydon House, they did an open call for fiction from unagented Black writers. Um, and they said they would give feedback to anyone who met the criteria. They didn't promise publication, but um, at least feedback is so valuable because usually mm-hmm. you just get a form letter when you submit your queries to agents. Um, and so I had kind of put this book away and started working on something else, but I'm like, well, hey, it's here. I'll send out my query and, you know, is I'll get some feedback and maybe I'll want to tinker with it a little bit more once I get the feedback. But there was an editor there who really connected with the work and she asked for the full manuscript and I sent it and didn't hear anything back for many months, but I took that as a good sign. Mm-hmm. And eventually she said she would be interested 
they would be interested in publishing the book, but I had to have an agent. So that's when they helped me find my wonderful agent, Sharice, who is a Black woman who I love and she's incredible. But she she um, has a very specific way that she connects with her authors and so not just through the traditional querying process. And so I wouldn't have, um, I'm sure, found her um, or signed with her any other way. And so um, sometimes things just happen that are out of the ordinary or not the way that things traditionally work. And so um, I was just happy to have something ready, ready to go. Right. Uh, and so, and then the timing worked out, you know, working with her, um, my editor, it took us a while to get the book to where we thought it was really in the best shape, even postponing the date. Um, but I look back at that now and I'm like, well, that that's wonderful because it put it in, um, it, the timing worked out where it happened to land. Um, I mean, they sent it out to all the book clubs, but um, for Jenna Bush Hager to select it as her March pick. So, um, so yeah, it, I think wow that, that that timing thing again and um, taking advantage of opportunities, but a um, little bit of luck and blessing and and all of those things go go into the mix. Yeah, I'm going to call it you know being prepared because had not you been prepared to mm -hmm. say you know what it's going to toss it out there, and I mm -hmm. think that's a lot of what you know. Um, like I'm self-published and I'm now considering the whole, okay, I don't want to do self-published anymore. I think I want to go the traditional route. And so I think a lot of writers look at like people like you, who's Diane Marie Brown. We've never heard of her. She's never written anything. And now she's a Jenna. Wait, what? But yeah. you've been working on this craft for years. And yes. you've been... Yeah, and so writing this book for years, and you've done all the things, and people never ever hear the backstory. Yeah, even before, um, way be, even before I went back to grad school, um, I'd written two other books, and I had I even I had an agent uh, many many years ago, and uh, she I worked with her for about a year and a half. She wasn't able to sell my book. Um, the book that we signed for. And I, there was a lot of discouragement. Um, mm -hmm. And because I, and especially for this, that was the very first book that I ever wrote. And I, you know, I was worried, like, I can, I don't know if I could do this again, you know, do all mm -hmm. this work and um, sit around for, not sit around, but wait for a, a year while she's putting it out on submission to all these editors and, um, Back then, I I had really very little understanding of the whole publishing process. Um, it was, you know, it's still, I still have just this last year and a half, two years have learned a lot, but at least there's more information out there. Back then, mm -hmm. hard to understand. Um, oh, yeah. You know, what was going on, what goes on as far as getting a book published. Um, but um, I maybe gave up for a little bit but mm -hmm. loving to that's I think that's kind of how you know that you're you're really a writer is you just you just can't let it go so I'm like well I, have, I do have other stories that that I can tell and so let me keep trying and and maybe I'll find the one that hits one day 
Yeah, I'm so glad you did because <laughs> uh, Black Candle Women. Okay, I'm going to be honest with you. I never read the blurbs. I never, ever read the back of the book. Mm-hmm. And I just, I when I find a book that I like, it's usually because the cover gets me. Mm-hmm. I am like the worst person, the worst <laughs> reader ever, right? So I don't even look at the author. I just pick up a book and I'm like, oh, I love this cover. It's so pretty. And I start reading. I don't know what the book's about. I like, I kind of, I kind of <laughs> approach fun. reading. I know. I kind of approach reading the way I approach my writing. I'm a discovery writer and I just like to fall into it and see what happens. And so I kind of fell into your book in all honesty. And then I was like, who is this? Where did she come from? So now I'm like Googling Diane Marie Brown. And I was like, and I realized it was your debut book. I was like, oh, and I just started thinking about, um, like I'd been putting out some fillers for for this podcast because it doesn't, the first um, episode aired on June 8th. And so I just started putting fillers out. I was like, I am never going to get writers on this podcast because who is Elle Sean? And I was like, I really want to talk to her because this book is really interesting. I was so, so funny because I started getting some writers and I'd always say, so who would you suggest? And your name kept popping up. I was like, that's it. (laughs) I asked, I'm just going to ask. So I'm so glad I did. And your book, Black Candle Women, why that title? Oh, yeah. Well, the title, um, that was not the original title. I'm not going to say what the original title was because it's it's terrible. It was kind of like- Oh, a- I want to know. Now I want to know. Uh- you have to tell me. <laughs> you can't say it's terrible and be like, I'm not going to well, say it. Yeah, you it, are. <laughs> it was, I know. It was um, not- not the most politically correct title, um, but this was a title from when, I, like, 10, 12 years ago. And, and it was kind of, it kind of had a double meaning. Um, so it was originally titled The Nut House. And so the, at the main character, well, there's four main characters, but one of the main characters and um, the, who all the women revolve around is uh, a woman who has a family business and she's a mental health therapist. And so she was known for a lot of things, but she always served nuts and candies and uh, little treats for clients. And so hmm. it was known by outsiders as the nut house. Um, okay. But, you know, probably not the most sensitive title. And so we were like, no. Um, but it was a placeholder for for a very long time. So and and the story had you know the story evolved. That was again when I first started writing the story. That was kind of more you know it was focused a little bit more on the business and the clientele and the this the way that they treated clients um, mm-hmm. as far as the, you know there's more emphasis on these desserts and that Willow was cooking and bringing and that was really what this business was known for. But that kind of changed. And so we needed a title that made more sense for where the story mm-hmm. had evolved to. And so I think we went through like 60, at least 60 different 
title ideas. Wow. Um, trying to figure out what what might work. Um, also with the publisher having, you know, feeling like they know the types of titles that should be used. Cause I definitely had my opinions, but um, like I really liked um the book of Montrose. And they're like, well, we don't really like names on title, you know, titles because nobody knows who the Montrose women are. Although I'm like, well, I see it all the time, but I'm like, okay. But they will know. <laughs> they will know, right? <laughs> they will. Uh, yes. And so just thinking of like, um, we we wanted to have women in the title. We wanted maybe candles. We wanted spell, book. Um, we were just thinking about some of these keywords that might make sense. And so we ended up with Black Candle Woman because we really wanted it to be clear if as if it wasn't already clear from the cover but we didn't have the cover yet but that this was a story of black, about a family of black women um and that there was some kind of um, mystical element and that's where the candle came in and also symbolic of uh the fact that there are secrets that were coming to light uh, mm -hmm. so that's how we came up with the title so I love it. I do love it. And it, it has an air of mystery. And this kind of, if you just look at it, like, again, had no idea what I was going to be reading. I just was like, beautiful cover. I love the title. And now that I have read the book, I'm like, yes, yes, that makes sense. If you had called it the nut house, I'd be like, wait, what? <laughs> right. I don't even think yes. I heard any nuts being given out. They all, the, the, it was all <laughs> that was all taken out. That was all removed. So. But yeah, so I was like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, so so good title. So we are kind of heading into segment one, which is intentional writing. And intentional writing, as as I use the medical definition of the word intentions, uh, which is of you know the healing process of a wound, I find that anytime I read. Most times I read Black women's fiction, there is like this little balm kind of flowing through it. And I, I don't know if it's something that we write in intentionally or if it's just what it is. But mm -hmm. I find that the, the books that I am drawn to are also very cathartic and very healing. And I know this is your debut novel. And so when I ask that question on the intake form, you, of course, said black candle women how was it cathartic for you writing this book and and the process and all that I mean it seems like a bunch of research went into this book especially with the hoodoo and voodoo components mm -hmm. so I'd love to hear how this book was cathartic for you yes well I starting with that I definitely would say the research component was very cathartic um and finding ways to to bring that in. I, I love the idea of uh, these women creating solutions for themselves, um, sometimes through um, through prayer and intercession, but oftentimes often with their hands and things that mm -hmm. they create and make. And just again, I, I love the idea of creating things, if not writing, but you know, think using my hands in some way to to craft things. And so um I I really enjoyed 
how the research process for me worked, where I would have an idea about something, but I didn't know. So I would go and do research. And then the research uh, gave me new ideas. So, and Mm -hmm. I incorporated what I learned into my book, but then that the research had given me some other ideas. So I would work that in. And so it just was this kind of circular process um, that, um, and it was just, it was, it felt like magical, right? It's like, right. Oh my gosh. I didn't even, I put something early on here and it pays off here. And I didn't even realize that I, I didn't even do it on purpose. And, you know, it was just right. kind of, kind of happened that way. And um, I, I really enjoyed that, that process. Um, and even just writing, um, finding little ways to put in things that meant something to me as part of my life. And so Mm -hmm. again, a lot of people say like your first book is about you. And so, um, or, but I I think we put ourselves in, you know, all of our writing in some way. Um, But that, yes. So I'd say my, that very first book that I said, I wrote that I didn't get published. That was a lot. The character was a lot of me, but this one was less about the the characters being similar to me or or parts of me. Maybe people I know, but some of their situations um, were things that I experienced. So it was really neat writing that on the page. So um, my very first, I think, um, true experience with therapy, it was at a woman's house and she practiced out of her home office and I would park and sit on her front step and she had these nice wicker chairs and magazines Mm -hmm. and you'd sit there until she called you in. She always had tea and we would sit in her office and talk. And I, um, I was so sad because she was at the end of her career when I first started meeting with her and she retired. And I've since tried to find that experience with it, with mm-hmm. a therapist, but um, that was not her herself, but her setup and my yeah. experience working with her. That was kind of how I created Victoria's character and having this, this home where she is running her business out of and it's yeah. um, as an MFT. So that was very cathartic for me. I love that. I love that. Food is so important. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting here like, look, here's, I am a vegetarian, plant-based vegetarian. <laughs> and I am like, don't curse this woman out for writing all this good food. <laughs> That's fuck. Don't do it. Because I, Why? Well, I mean, in, in the way you described it, I was just like, I want it. I want all of it. Yes. It was, so yeah, during, tell me about the food. Yes. So during the this time, this, um, so it was probably about 10 years from when I finished my program to when I got my publishing contract. Um, mm-hmm. And again, trying to find an agent, trying to make things work. But in the meantime, I'm like, well, I, I just want to get my, I still, I want to get stories out or I want to write or I want to share in some way. I want to connect to people. So I started a blog 
um, about restaurants and food. I mean, it was about other things, but most of the content were was about restaurants. So um, I'd visit restaurants. I'd go with friends. We have this little restaurant group, or I just I traveled a lot with my daughter for her for volleyball, and so I go to mm-hmm. restaurants out there and started taking photos, and it just became kind of my big hobby where I would write about food. And so I, I, I miss that. I was just saying to myself, man, I, I want to, I haven't posted that blog in so long, but I have so many food pictures and experiences. I want to get back to that. Cause I, I just enjoy doing that. And so mm-hmm. I think because I did that for, for so many years that I will always incorporate food into into any work that I do and for the women in this book that that was one of the ways that they shared that they shared their love for for one another uh-huh. said that they loved each other by by cooking or preparing meals for one another mm-hmm. um, but beyond that I I just like to write about food <laughs> well you write so well about it I was so mad I was like I wonder if I can find some vegan because uh, <laughs> I I've been like looking yeah. online trying to find like recipes for yeah. some of the beautiful uh, NOLA food you you described. So I'm going to just um, talk about the characters. I want you to talk about these characters. Okay. Okay. The first character I want to talk about is Madeline. And I, okay. I know, like, why am I starting with her? Madeline, I'm reading her and I just see my mom. Like you wrote my mom. My mom wasn't um, addicted to anything other than gambling, but she's bipolar. And so she's been like, you know, but then like the redemption part, that's the part that I absolutely love because like, I just, I look at my mom now and she's healthier, she's happy, she's productive. And Madeline was so cool. Like she was like a little a little shadow in the very beginning, right? Go, don't talk about Madeline. Madeline was a bad mom. Madeline did this, yada, yada, yada. But then when she shows up, invited by Willow, and I'm just like, I love her. Like, I really love her. And I, I don't know, was she meant to be loved like that? Because I did, she did, I love her because she reminded me of my mom. No, I'm so happy you said that because Madeline was my favorite character to write. Because she, and that absolutely, she was absolutely a symbol of redemption. That's really what I wanted to show for her. Um, because I, I wanted to see, I wanted to show how we, ha- you know, we have so many different characters in a family. Uh, and even as a mother, as a daughter, we, we make mistakes, big mistakes, um, but we, we're still family and, you know, Mm -hmm. we can be, we can be redeemed and, um, we can share our, you know, it's not too late, I think, to reconcile with things that we wish we would have done in, in, in the past. And, um, you know, Madeline, I, I feel like she was kind of, she ended up kind of being the voice of reason uh and uh which is ironic because she yes she was the the mom who is using drugs who neglected her children who you know did all of these things but mm-hmm. i feel like she was 
the most grounded and had just had some common sense to share with everyone. So yes, yeah. I, she was I love so that. honest with herself. That's what I loved about her. She was honest mm -hmm. with her. I know what I did. <laughs> you know, I know what I did and I'm not doing those things anymore. So let's just move on. I just, I don't, I love her. She, and she was funny. Just so funny. Yeah. She, yeah. I'm telling you, she reminds me so much of my mom. Oh, um, just, I love that. Um, Nana Augusta, mm -hmm. the big mama of mm -hmm. the house. We yes. called my grandma Madia. So <laughs> <laughs> she insisted on it. Yeah. Um, and so tell me how you came up with Nana Augusta. So she is one of those characters that um, I think is came from bits and pieces of people. But really what she ended up being for me, um, which I guess is a little cathartic too. She was my uh, imaginary grandmother. I didn't know my grandparents, uh, but I was always so jealous of kids in school who were like, you know, I'm going to my grandma's house. Or I'm going to spend time with my Nana or, um, and then as a mom, when I saw my children's relationships with their grandmothers you know I thought mm -hmm. it was so wonderful and so uh I wanted to kind of create my own grandmother character so that and who lives who lives in the house with me um oh. so that's what I really wanted to to do with um Augusta that is so beautiful like honestly that is really beautiful and Nana Augusta but you didn't make her like this perfect grandma yeah. No, at no, no. All. And so we get her her backstory through, you know, all of her memories, and she's mute. Yes. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, wait a minute now. We have <laughs> wisdom. Okay. So that's what I call elders. We have wisdom living in the house. But how does she impart that wisdom? Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, okay, maybe the book is her wisdom, but that's not really her book. And I'm like, wow, so why mute? Yeah, if I, um, to be honest, I don't remember quite when, or I think she was always from the start, I think she was nonverbal, but um, I, I don't know if I remember exactly why, but uh, I definitely wanted to focus on her interior thoughts. Mm -hmm. um, and for all of the processing to be, I wanted to observe what was going on without maybe being able to jump in and, and share um, so that us as readers, that was kind of a way for us to connect to her backstory because she's doing a lot of um reminiscing or rethinking of things. She's comparing her. Um, experience as a young girl to her great granddaughter Nikki mm -hmm. and to her granddaughters as um, as well when they were her age. So 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 yes, I um, I think it really helped me under understand her a little bit more mm -hmm. to, to make her not be able to to share her thoughts immediately as she may have wanted to. Yeah, she's also very funny. And, yeah. and very um, aware of herself mm -hmm. as the conduit for all of what is happening. 
mm-hmm. um, with her with her girls. Um, now Willow. When I say that this character was everything, she was really <laughs> like. When I read her, I was like, she she wants to be a normal person. She wants to have a normal life, but she has all this other stuff in the background, mm-hmm. um, all the family stuff in the in the background that could be an anchor or an albatross, depending on on you know who's who's wielding it, I guess. Um, but she's also very pragmatic and and petty and and talented and insecure. Like you wrote her with so much depth. Tell me about Willow for you, the experience of writing her. Uh, I always think of Willow as personality-wise, temperament-wise, as the person I kind of wish I was. Um you know, although she maybe doesn't operate in the way that I would, because um, as you mentioned, she's very pragmatic. She, you know, she she's not going to go off entirely on her sister like she wants to because she, you know, she needs a place to live. And right. maybe she wants to assert herself on what she believes to be her, her, um, her wisdom, her her skills, her talent, but she has she's insecure and she worries about taking that those risks because she she took a risk before and it didn't work out and so mm-hmm. uh, she doesn't want to to try anymore. Um, so so yeah, I just <laughs> wanted to think through how um, somebody who feels they are not quite um living in their the life that they were supposed to be living might might mm-hmm. operate and and might feel so that's kind of the question I kept asking about her but just as far as her personality um I she's who I I wish I I acted like I I think I'm more like Victoria not not that extreme at all um <laughs> But I'm not getting that vibe. <laughs> <laughs> but as far as um, I guess being, I don't know. Um, sometimes I think I operate a lot more conservatively than I feel or or think, um, because I don't want to uh, put myself out there in some ways, but I don't know. I kind of feel like I'm in the middle of, of those mm-hmm. two characters in some way, but I, I really enjoyed writing, uh, Willow too. She was, she was a lot of fun to write. Yeah. She was frustrating for me to read because like you wrote her and this is like a testament to your writing. Okay. So the fact that you wrote her so well that I felt like I knew she was capable of so much more, like, I wanted her to take this business plan and then take it somewhere and start the Dagnap business, you know, or get a mentor and learn how to do business right. And I like, I saw so much potential in her and she was just so, I don't know, warm and, and kind of childlike in her approach to living, it was all like, oh, this is kind of a wonder thing here. I loved her, but then I was frustrated. I wanted to shake her. Yeah. <laughs> Girl, go do you, okay? You just 
and stop sleeping with these crazy men and just go do you. Can you just do you, right? But uh, yeah, so that is a testament to your writing because I just wanted to, you know, dive into the book and and just snatch a knot in her and, <laughs> and like, girl, get it together, get it together and punch Victoria just one time. Yes, <laughs> right, right. And Victoria. <laughs> I promise you there isn't a girdle tight enough to describe this character. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, uh, Yeti, she has her new shapewear. Uh, Lizzo, she has nothing tight enough to describe this character. Why did you do my girl like this? Why? She had she had to. She had to. Um I had to have her be that extreme, but that's because of how strong she believed in this curse. Um and she felt instead of trying to um you know I'm thinking with this book about generational curses, right? But mm -hmm. they all they have an actual curse that they are dealing with. And so instead of trying to find a way to get rid of the curse or break the curse, she felt that she had to protect them. And the only way that she felt that she could do so is to live this extreme life. And so that's that's why Victoria is the way that she is, is because she felt that, be, she felt the responsibility and the burden of protecting um, her family. And if she can't protect the family, then at least her daughter, specifically her daughter, from um, being hurt, being affected by this curse. Even though she should know, she should know better, right? She should know she can't control things. She's a therapist. She and she should know that what she's, how she operates, um, it's not effective. It can't last forever. But I think that's the, the, irony of how we sometimes operate we we act against our um better judgments we do things that mm -hmm. we know um don't make sense even if we're experts in a particular area and so that's right. that's why victoria operates the way that she does yeah she was really um i don't know i i looked at her and she's very devout in her voodoo you know, practice and her voodoo faith, mm -hmm. but she doesn't practice the faith, right? right. You know, and um, I, I'm looking at the whole concept of religion as an institution and how so many people use religion as kind of the, oh, I'm going to put on my faith in this thing and I'm going to go by it so that I'm not making any decisions on my own. And it just felt like for her, she was like, I, I need this to, to kind of be my, my reasoning for mm -hmm. me. And that way I can suspend my logical mind. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I, I was just like, girl, you <laughs> you hadn't, hadn't been with anyone since your husband died before your baby was what are you doing 
quit your yeah. life. She was so repressed and yeah. unhappy, no joy, no creativity. There was yeah. no divine feminine energy flowing through any part of her body. And it was like she just died when Jimmy died. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. There, I, there was another man um another love interest uh that she had but it got the book was it was too long and I had to cut some things out and so um oh. the mention of him got got cut out but I mean it it didn't really matter because she she the way that she handled it she um she because she got scared uh she let him go um, because she got just to the point where she was going to let herself, um, you know, fall in love with this person, but she, she got scared, she got worried and she, she got rid of him in a way that was not, not good. Um, but yeah, I, I'm kind of sad that that, 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 uh, little section had to be taken out, but, you know, I don't think it really, it just, reminded us of of who she was so yeah. but I think you did a great job with Russ showing mm -hmm. all of that and then even with <laughs> January <laughs> first of all the name kudos uh with January and and just her confrontation like you showed what she was capable where she was capable of going mm -hmm. um so yeah, Victoria, I mean, these women, and none of them are like, oh, they're all this way and none of this way. Like they're so complete. And the last woman, the last young woman, poor Nikki, <laughs> when I tell you I wanted to rescue her mm -hmm. and just send her out into the world to enjoy yeah. life and, yeah. and be. Yes. So was it difficult writing like, a young girl pressed in that environment? Um, not, not so much. Um, I, I've seen people like Nikki not be in their situation because of a parent or some outside factors limiting them, but really most, the last five or six years, especially the last three or four years with, with COVID, but with social media, um, with young people, just, you know, this whole idea of uh, loneliness and um, disconnection from mm -hmm. true relationships and people and um, just the, the mental health challenges that young people have. Um, even though Nikki's situation occurred because of her mom being controlling, I, I feel like I see similarities in the way some young people live because it's hard to be uh, to be young and feel valued and make true connections. And so I think a lot of times that, uh, they do withdraw and they do just kind of operate from the, they they live their lives just on their phones and mm -hmm. observing other and observing other people living life and maybe wanting to be a part of it but not having the um 
not knowing how, how to connect. Um, so yeah. that's kind of what I was trying to, to tap in. That's kind of what I tapped into to get at Nikki's character. Yeah. And, but she, she had this kind of innate need, right. To, to connect with other people, like you said, and she was stepping out and finding her way. Um, but I think you, you make a really great point, even when she is like, um, caught stealing at school and now the the AP is like wait are you suicidal I think just bringing that up and her mother being so like having such a visceral reaction to that I think that's so important because mothers and I know for a fact brown mothers are not wanting labels for our children and and we certainly don't want someone to see something in our child that we have not gleaned as as the mother um so I love that you put that in there and you did it in such a way that I don't know that all readers are going to get it but all the readers who are readers like like you know the people in your book are going to get that that she was feeling very mama bearish and don't put a label on my child that Mm -hmm. that isn't deserving so I love that okay I'm a former English teacher, as I said, so I'm always talking and thinking and things. And you just had like, I was like, dang, this is a lot, a <laughs> lot of themes you have here. So my show notes are a little weird. So I'm just going to call out the themes or thematic talking points that I jotted down. And you can just say whatever you need to say or want to say about them, if that's okay. Yeah. Okay. This isn't the game, by the way. Okay. 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 <laughs> a little scared of the game, but that's okay. Oh my gosh. You all, every writer scared of the game. Hello. You use words all the time. Okay. Uh, here we go. Family history. Yes. Uh, a big idea uh, for components of the book is um, me thinking, hey, what if Marie Laveau, who's um, the voodoo queen of New Orleans, um, what if I was related to her? What, what would she have passed down to me? Uh, what about me that exists, things that I like, or, um, you know, my proclivities here and there? What, what if that's connected to something that she did, or she was involved with, you know, centuries ago, or whoever, maybe not Marie Laveau, but whoever I, you know, whoever was my great, 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 all my great, 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 great grandmothers, you know, what did they do in their lives that has, that's connected to who I am now. So that's what I wanted to explore with giftings and uh, things that we pass down. And um, I just kind of thought that was a a fun thing to explore. I love that. Um, Love and loss, the fear of love and loss, how Mm -hmm. you, how they kind of interact. Yeah, um, with with this family, their their curse is um, anyone they fall in love with dies. Um, at least that's what they believe. And so I wanted to kind of see how different individuals might might deal with this, where we have somebody who um, they have this big loss, and so they don't want to risk um falling in love even though you know it's it's human nature you know it's 
it's going against human nature to try to not let yourself fall in love. I think we try, you know, we hear about this all the time, people wanting to control um, if they fall for somebody because they don't mm-hmm. want to get hurt. Um, if, you know, we've, I'll say most of us have probably been hurt in love at some point in our lives. And yeah. we we do what we can to try to protect ourselves because we don't want, we don't want that feeling, which I kind of compared to a loss. Um, mm-hmm. and so just on the spectrum where uh, with risk, you know, what risks are we willing to take? And sometimes it might be um, how we've been damaged or hurt before mm-hmm. and what we're willing to, to try again. So. Yeah, yeah. I always tell my daughters, uh, you know, if you walk around with every hand closed like this, then you're never going to have the opportunity to receive what's coming to you if you're always like this. And it's the same for your heart. You have to be willing to open that up, even mm-hmm. at the risk of, of being um, hurt. Mm-hmm. So family secrets, lies, mm-hmm. and fear. Do they yeah. feed into each other? <laughs> Well, I was going to say, before you said fear, that's what I was going to say. There's a lot of fear um, with secrets and when we keep secrets or we tell lies. Um, and also with this family, there's a lot of shame um, because mm-hmm. they may feel that the the secrets that they are keeping um, really have harmed the family in some way. And so there, there's mm-hmm. shame that and I think it a lot of times we keep secrets in families because of the because of fear and because of shame and worry that uh, our family members are not going to be understanding they're not going to be forgiving and maybe there's truth in that because people can have a hard time um forgiving and letting go but um yes definitely for this family fear and shame are very much connected to the secrets mm-hmm. that they keep. Yeah, and it seems like like the the snake that's chasing and, and swallows its own tail. And until mm-hmm. somebody's bold enough, brave enough to say, okay, this is what I did. This is what happened. No, we're still okay. I think that's the whole like crux of breaking those generational curses. It's just be honest, you mm-hmm. know, and be kind those things um we talked about food and healing and we talked about redemption and forgiveness and acceptance when we spoke with madeline now i think we are yes because i need to get you out of here oh we're good we're good you sure yes yes okay okay because i'm really having a great time talking to you and i'm like i don't okay but um I have a segment that I call the audacity of black women writers. Now I've spoken a little to your audacity being this woman who, I mean, it's not enough that you're a professor and a public health, you know, administrator. No, you also have to be like a bomb ass writer. And so where did you get the audacity to, (laughs) to approach life like this like seriously like I'm going to be a black woman I'm going to be a woman who writes about black women and I'm going to do so in an industry 
that still prefers white centered work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that's big. Um, I, I'd have to say a couple of places or people, um, that really impacted me. Um, first of all, my mom, who was a, was a teacher, um, she was a crafter. She made quilts, she made dolls, she made clothes, she wrote stories, she had me, um, take violin classes from when I was I think four years old I started violin she um had me in sports she had me doing everything um she did not think about any kind of limitations because of who I was or what I wasn't mm -hmm. she just said you can you can do any of these things that any of um anything that your your little friends are doing um because <laughs> at high school where I, where I went to school I was uh there weren't too many um black girls mm -hmm. um, so anything that all those other kids were doing girl scouts or brownies or campfire uh twirling the baton in a parade anything I I did it all and that was because of my mom. And so mm -hmm. I think I've just always been this way where I like to have my hands doing so many different things, whatever, whatever I like to do. I, I'm a big, like Star Wars nerd. Um, <laughs> I, love, I have Legos in my office, you know, I'm just like a big, uh, still a big uh, kid. But again, that was because mm -hmm. my mom just allowed that she, she didn't say no to very much. I mean, if I'm, you know, she didn't let me like buy everything that I wanted, but as far as experiences and activities, mm -hmm. she let me do all of those things, which yeah. I definitely appreciate. And then I'd have to also say Terry McMillan. She had a big impact on me because I, mm -hmm. that was the first time that I said, well, oh, wow. I, she's making a living. She is a fabulous writer telling stories that aren't being mm -hmm. told at the time. There weren't too many, there were, there were other people telling stories, but not in um, such a far reaching way that she mm -hmm. was at the time. And um, that was after reading Terry McMillan's early books when I was that was when I was in college um that's when I was like well hey you know maybe maybe this is something that I can do mm -hmm. so that that's I'd have to definitely call out my mom and Terry McMillan for for that I love that I absolutely love that um in the intake form when I asked what would really send you to a therapist that offered Black writer therapy, a licensed one. And you said the lowered expectations. What would, what about the publishing industry would send you seeking the couch? And you said the lowered expectations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Um, that's funny because I'm like, what did I put on my intake form? <laughs> it could have been, been a lot of things. I, um, yeah, I, I definitely feel that 
um, in some spaces, and this is beyond just writing, um, you know, and it's probably out, what I've experienced a lot with this is kind of outside of publishing recently, you know, um, I will, uh, you know, somebody in my department said, uh, this is a year or two ago, um, had learned that I was getting my book published. And they're like, oh, okay, that's, that's neat. Would it be within, um, you know, where could, where would I be able to find your book? Is it, is it going to be like with a publisher that I would have heard of? You know, just like those kinds of questions that, mm -hmm. oh, I, they just, they just really irked me. And even if, you know, I said, well, no, it's an, maybe it's, maybe it's a publisher. They are probably not going to hurt here of Graydon House anyways. Um, but, you know, I don't know, just this belief that certain pathways of getting art uh, out into the world are at a higher level than others mm -hmm. um, is just upsetting to me. Um, you know, even if if I feel like if, if I would have said, oh, I'm with an, an independent publisher, then, you know, that gets scrutinized or looked at in a different mm -hmm. way. Or if I said, oh, I'm going to self-publish, that gets looked at in a different way, which is um, quite upsetting. And um, I don't know, I I just feel that there are, and and then when people you know, here, oh, it's with, you know, HarperCollins. Uh, Graydon House is an imprint of HarperCollins. And, oh, yes, you can find the book at Target. It's like such, like, big, like, shock and surprise. Like, really? Yeah. Um, so, uh, but I think that kind of comes from publishing, not giving as many opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, and publishing, I mean, kind of like, um, the big five and yeah, also the booksellers and um, uh, like the big booksellers uh, where they get their books. Um, you know, this, this understanding of what being a published writer looks like um, comes from, from the top down. And mm -hmm. I think uh, black people, we, we have, found ways we've hustled we found ways to tell our our stories and so mm -hmm. even if it's not this traditional path it doesn't mean that the quality is not up to snuff I I've right I think there's a there's probably a lot of books out there uh that do go the traditional route and um the quality is perhaps not <laughs> Uh, not that you I want to really finish. working. <laughs> like you are really working to be PC. You don't I, have I, to. <laughs> I am trying to be PC. You are, but um, because I don't want to call anybody's book trash, right? Because it's so subjective, and I'm sure somebody's, you know, people have called my stuff. You know, I I I've heard all types of of things. Um, you know, that's 
I have all I have a lot of my old rejection letters that uh mm-hmm. that I look back at every now and then. And you know, some of the things that I feel like I've done, you know, uh, they talk about pacing or I don't know, some things that they'll call out and I'll read books by um white authors who are mainstream and I'm like, "Well, that's exactly what what they're exactly. doing." And they have this, exactly. you know, six-figure uh um deal that they've they've gotten but um so I just feel like sometimes we have to do everything right in order to get our stories to large audiences mm-hmm. uh, and I don't I don't know if those same hoops have to be jumped through through for other people yeah yeah I I um I think that's one of the most disparaging aspects of traditional publishing um, for for writers of color um, who want to go that traditional route, that it takes so much longer. And it's, you know, the writing not only has to be the very best and it has to be right, but it also, like, there's no room, no wiggle room for for us when we're querying and and all those things um yeah. and so I, I yeah I I think just having to um they they expect less and then they expect less but they require more and that's right. the frustration I think yeah also and I think sometimes what we write about um like my my book it's you know, the characters, maybe they have something that happens to them that's connected to them being Black, but they, they're they living their Black lives, right? Exactly. But there's <laughs> nothing that's, there's not like a lesson learned for some, you know, for somebody who's not Black, right? And I mean, they maybe they, out of context, they learn some, some things about being a Black woman, uh, perhaps, but you know, there's no big um, lesson uh, to be to be learned. And sometimes I feel like that's the the other pressure that's put on Black writers is we, yes. we have to teach something, or um, we yeah we have or we have to tell this phenomenal tale of trauma and struggle yes. and overcoming and. Uh, you know, I just want to tell a story about a family, just like other people just tell, you know, stories about family dramas and challenges, you know? Yes. And I'm telling you, like, almost verbatim, um, another writer that I that I spoke with earlier, said, can I just write a story about four Black women? Yeah, exactly. Can I just write a story about four Black women and that be it, that be good enough? them just being for black women living their lives and the fact that your book is about three black women and a young woman right a young black woman and and all of this i i love that 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 we have that in the market and hopefully uh it will you know parlay into a little more space for that type of black writing yes yes um yeah Okay, you already touched on <laughs> uh, what my my last question was. So, guess what time it is? Uh, 
Uh oh, game is it game time? It's game time. It's game time. Yay! Oh my, you ready? Okay. Um, so you have I I sent the rules, but I'll refresh. The game is called Tell the Whole Story, and I am going to give you a word, and you're going to need to tell a personal anecdotal story. Okay based on that word and your hashtag at the end will either be bookish writer's life or writing while black okay we good we are good okay (laughs) your first your first word is sublime oh okay um hmm. maybe I'd have to talk I'd say the research process for Black Candle Women and my current book uh that I'm going to be working on over the summer that process has yeah. been and is very sublime as as I kind of indicated before um the the research is giving me new ideas and new energy um that gets me asking more questions mm-hmm. and that which begets more research which begets more ideas and i feel like um in some ways not that the research or these um, this content that I'm learning from is writing the story, but in a way it's, they are helping me come up with new ideas that feed the story. So I think yes. I feel like that circle of, of work is sublime. Very good. Hashtag. Oh, hashtag. Um, I'd say writer life. Very good. Uh, your next word is timeless. Oh, um, I would say, I have to say, um, Zora Neale Hurston is timeless. Um, she and her work, um, her, not just her, right, her stories, but her, anthropological work mm-hmm. um is I think that's that work particular in particular but that's integrated into her writing is timeless because she captured um a culture and a history a way of communicating um that I think is very timeless and very impactful so mm-hmm. hashtag writing while black Oh my God. I love her. Like I, I discovered her my senior year in high school. My brother got me a copy of Alice Walker's In Search of Our Mother's Garden. And and I was like, so first and who was this? And I did my senior, my high school senior thesis on her. And I, I had to go through, like jump through hoops. And I mean, they were like, oh, you can't talk yeah. about her. Oh yeah. What? And that made me, of course, fall deeper into the Zora rabbit hole. So yes, timeless. Um, yeah love her um your next word is opulent oh 
opulent. Um, hmm. What do I want to say? Um, I think I'll say being in the zone um, and just when you're in that spot or when, for me, when I'm in that spot where um, energy is just flowing and I feel like I'm like my optimal self, it's kind of like a self, uh, Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs uh -huh. where um, self-actualization, that is like opulent for me. It doesn't happen all the time, but when it happens, it's, it's a beautiful thing. So I would. Oh, I love that. I love that answer. Your answers are so pretty. Thank you. <laughs> I'm just smiling because I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I love it. Um, you're good. We only have like two more words. Okay. Okay. So romantic. Oh, I probably have a, my husband will say I'll have a hard time with this one. <laughs> um, oh gosh. Romantic. Um, Hmm. I would have to say, um, being present and sharing and, uh, connecting and, um, connecting to the senses of another person. That's what I find to be really romantic. And um, sometimes that can be done, you know, on a, with roses and gifts. But for me, romance is just tuning in, tapping into um, another person on a level where they just feel just this amazing comfort and closeness and vulnerability um, that only they can, on a level that only that one person can can get you to. And so wow. when I feel romanced by my my husband, my partner, it's it's when we get to the, it doesn't happen very often. I was, I, was, it's, I don't think it, people can handle that kind of romance very often because yours is right. like, <laughs> yeah, yes. I, I mean, I love all the, I love other types of, of I like being romanced um, in general, but I like being romanced with food. Uh, that, that really speaks to me and um, food and, uh, but like being served um, being having somebody like prepare things for me, that's very romantic. But um getting I, I feel what I'm really getting at is getting me to be vulnerable, mm -hmm. like truly vulnerable, all the walls down. Um, that's romantic because that's that's hard for me to do. I, love I don't know that. if any of the hashtags, I don't know if hashtag writer life. Okay, hashtag. that's your life. 
Yes. Yeah. Wow. That's so beautiful. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> really beautiful. Okay. All right. The last word starts with why, because you just spelled story, right? S-T-O-R. The last word begins with why. Not a lot of good why words out there. Um, and so I, I have the word yearning. Mm. which I love like that's such a decadent word I love that word it is a decadent word Hmm. um I am yearning to write um I want to say not a masterpiece um I'm yearning to write an epic saga um an epic tale those are my favorite types of books um like a uh roots or love songs of w-e-b du bois or um there's a book that i love called middle sex and there are these they're just like journeys of a person over their their whole life and you or um I just uh demon copperhead I just listened to those I am yearning to write that type of a a story one day I don't have the idea but I have the the that spirit in me to to make it happen in, in some way I just have to I'm I'm waiting for that character to to come to me at some point but um so oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just wrote down Demon Copperhead because I'm like, wait, I need to, I need to get on that. Yeah, um, yeah, that saga. Yeah, I well, I I can't wait until you do. <laughs> Honestly, I can't wait until you do. I I think, yeah. I think all of us want to write that. That yeah, that. I know. Like that's where I am right now. Kind of like, I want to write the long, the long story. Um, what? What may I ask what you write, Ella? Yeah, I write that... Southern erotic women's fiction. Okay. Okay. Yes. Cool. And uh a lot of people are like, oh, so you write all the books with all the sex. I mean, yeah, there's definitely some explicit sex in there, but mostly eroticism for me is the spiritual aspect of of transforming all the lower energies into a higher energy and you don't have sex you don't need sex to have erotic opportunities or interactions and yeah. so most of the erotic interactions in the book uh aren't aren't there aren't represented during the sexy time but they're like in bath time or making tea or cooking or standing yeah. outside in the rain those yes. experiences become worship and that's kind of what eroticism is for me um and that's how I portray it in my writing I love that I love that yeah or at least I try but still I think most people read it and they get caught up in the in the sexual activity which for me is just another character and it mm -hmm. moves the plot along or it flushes out characters um so I'm challenging myself in my next project actually to create erotica that has very little sexual activity present and still have it be full of eros energy so this has been um this 
this project is a lot of fun and I believe this is the one I'll query with. <laughs> awesome. That, that makes so much sense because where is the 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 eroticism and I, I kind of that's kind of what I feel like with romance too. Where is the energy? It's not in once you get to the act, you know, then that's not that the act can't be beautiful and erotic and sensual, but like I love everything leading up to, you know, exactly leading up to it. That's that's where I think that energy is. So mm -hmm. I love it. That's yes. it. Very good. Very good. So uh, we are at the end of your session and I would not be an amazing unlicensed therapist if I didn't give <laughs> you homework. Okay. <laughs> and so your homework, Miss Diane Marie Brown, who would you suggest for the next session of Black Writer Therapy? Oh, um, we have, um, I have this little group that's um, in Los Angeles of debut writers and we hang out like monthly and it's been a beautiful thing. Um, you lucky girl. Going, huh? Yeah. You lucky girl. <laughs> <laughs> we, I just found them um, earlier this year and it was great because they, um, I'll tell a very quick story. Um, so being with events for debuts, you know, you want to have this big book tour and a bookseller told me, well, for your first, for, as a debut, you know, just kind of pull back your expectations because no, nobody knows you yet. And so, um, I had an event at this bookstore in LA and, this group of women showed up, even though I had only met them one other time. And thank goodness that they did, because they helped fill up the space, because there, <laughs> there were not a whole lot of people who who came. So lesson learned. Uh, and I know that's not the case for all debuts, um, but um, it was for most of my events, it was mostly friends and family who who came mm -hmm. out, which was lovely. I, I loved having them there. Um, but this... Um, I feel very close to this group of women. So the person who kind of told me about this group, her name is Ashley Coleman. And okay. she, um, she writes um, women's fiction. Although her book was categorized as romance, I think she would kind of think of it as um, women's fiction with romantic uh -huh. elements. Um, right. uh, so her, her uh, debut is... Uh, is entitled Good Morning Love. And she is working, I know, on some other projects. And she also runs um, like this, it's a writing group for, for I think it's for Black women specifically, but it's called Permission to Write. And she, she just is amazing. So I think she would be great to have here. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I have a new book at my PBR is ridiculous. I, <laughs> it is because like I get all the recommendations for new writers to talk with and then, you know, writers, well, I love this book and blah, blah, blah. So my PBR is like, like I told my husband, I said, I think we need to increase the budget for, <laughs> right. Um, he just looked at me. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so yes, Miss Ashley Coleman, this is Elishan with uh, Black Writer Therapy and your friend, Miss Diane Marie Brown says you would be great 
as as the next uh, next guest on my show. So I'll be reaching out to her. And thank you so much for for giving me this name. Is there anything else you want the listeners to know? How to get in touch with you? What you're working on? Um, sure, I'm on social media um, at every place except for. Instagram, I'm writer die chick, W-R-I-T-E-R-D-I-C-H-I-C-K. Um, but on Instagram, I'm Diane underscore Marie underscore Brown. You can reach out to me there. Um, and I am working on something a little bit magical. <laughs> um it that I'm and I'm researching it also, um, but writing and researching kind of that that sublime place right now. So that's what I'll be doing over my summer break, hoping to get a a nice draft. Very good. Well, look, if you need an arc reader or you want somebody to look at it and say whatever, just like, you know. Definitely. I'm I'm volunteering myself. The Uh, trusted beta readers are very important. And I'm always looking for for people that I can, um, that I feel get me, uh, but who can speak, speak up and say, you know, hey, this isn't making sense. Or have you considered that? So yes, I will definitely remember me. Put me on your list. I would be a leader. Okay. <laughs> no problem. It has been such a pleasure and an honor to speak with you. And I wish you much continued success. Not that I need to, but you know, that's what I'm supposed to say as a host, I think. Um, <laughs> and and what I send to you sincerely is Karuna, which is my compassion and mercy, and just continue to be amazing. Um, and thank you so much. Thank Hope you, you have a great event today. <laughs> Thank you for joining me for this session of Black Writer Therapy. Be sure to follow and leave a review wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And keep the conversations going on Instagram using our hashtag Black Writer Therapy. I'm your host and unlicensed therapist, Alishan, reminding you to be kindest to yourself first, always, and in all ways. See you guys next week. Bye.